0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: Hello. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, we join the occult of the empty man of Salo. Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am the nameless one named Adam Thomas.
2: And I am Thomas Mariani, the uh, lead cult member of the nameless one, Adam Thomas.
1: Hey, baby.
2: You got one, a cult of one person. <laughs> That's all you can.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: I'm not just the leader of the Adam Thomas cult. I'm also a member. Uh, but we're not the only ones here, as you can hear from that lovely laughter in the background here. We have on today an author, an artist, and a horror fan in general, uh, the lovely Kat Scully. Cat, welcome to the show.
0: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk horror movies, my favorite subject.
2: Where do your interests in horror lie, particularly with why we gave you a bunch of the October episodes that we're doing, because it's the spooky season, everybody. It started, we love it, every single year doing at least four or so episodes uh, related around a horror topic. So uh, why did your interest really draw you to this week's topic of occult horror in particular?
0: Well, my favorite thing to write about in horror is either interpersonal family drama with curses that go down... Generation to Generation, like I wrote in Jennifer Strange, or I love folklore and urban legends. And usually what go hand in hand with those two topics are cults. And I saw The Empty Man, I think about two months ago I watched it, and I was just blown away. I really, really loved it. But I was already a fan of Cullen Bunn because I loved his Harrow County comic series like i was obsessed i was saying have you read this comic have you read this comic to everybody i met uh to the point i got annoying i'm sure and so when i saw it, there was a movie that came out based on one of his comics so i had to see it and i i loved
2: it yes we'll definitely get into the specifics of uh, the empty man and all that here in a second uh but uh adam i know this when we were we planned out like all the different horror themed episodes we were doing and uh the cult one was one that we kind of like stumbled upon last minute Um, But are you you a fan generally of like sort of the occult genre as it were the subgenre?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I I think it it can lend itself to some of the most frightening sort of films based on the fact that simply that, you know, whether or not they feature a supernatural aspect or not, it it boils down to almost just fanaticism of man and, and what it can lead them to do. And if an idea is strong enough or a belief is strong enough, you know, Truly terrifying and atrocious things can be committed, sort of in service to that belief or ideal. And it's always uh, just chilling to think about because, you know, it's happened quite a bit. And uh, it, it just adds itself a little bit more to the sort of realistic creed of horror films more than I would say your prototypical slasher movie or anything like that. Uh, this is always starts off with just, man. You know, if it goes to Supernatural, out, that's fine, too. I love that, too. But, yeah, it's just, it's always been something I've loved. And I think uh, probably the first example that I can think of of seeing would probably been, like, you know, The Omen or Rosemary's Baby or something like that. Uh, but, yeah, it's always a, a genre I'm, I'm sort of uh, on the lookout for. And especially when sort of my love and interest in Lovecraft sort of materials uh, started at an earlier age, it's kind of, you know, the bread and butter of those. So, Absolutely, I love the subgenre.
2: Yeah, I think what glommed me onto that was when I was a little kid, I saw The Wicker Man far too early.
1: Which one? Well, okay, yes, very good to clarify. The
2: original 1973 Wicker Man starring Christopher Lee. That's the full title now that we have to say every time we talk about it. Yes, not the Nicolas Cage movie. That I also (laughs) saw, but with a lot more sort of funny results on that. But yes, the original Wicker Man I saw when I was younger and just that sort of ability where... Everything just felt so calm on the surface only for, like, so much actual, like, sinisterness to be bubbling under. Um, Particularly with, I've had a fear of, like, people in, like, weird animal masks when I was young because of that movie specifically. Just groups and hordes of people in those weird masks immediately put me off. The idea of, like, people, especially in, like, either, like, Bunny or, like, the pig masks and stuff like that just really upset me. Especially in such a large group just coming down in the middle of a day. I think that's the other thing is that, like, sort of cult horror like, really thrives in the daylight in a way that few others do, where just, like, it's so much more unsettling to see, like, a giant group of people in the daylight than any kind of monster. It's so, it feels almost more unsettling to see.
0: It it does. I, I was laughing, too, because The Wicker Man was also my introduction to cult horror, but it was the Nick Cage one. Oh. <laughs> that was the first, like, cult movie I ever saw, and I thought it was a comedy movie I was watching. That's that's true. And I was like, actually, I love this. I want to find the more serious stuff. So that kind of sprung my love of it. Like, I wanted more people and animal masks. So I had a totally different response.
2: You you wanted people in giant bear outfits, punching people in the face, basically, like Nicolas Cage.
0: Yeah, and it's like slapping masks off of people's faces. I've always loved horror comedy, though, because my intro to horror at all was Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. So that was my expectation coming in. So when I watched The Wicker Man, I was like, oh, this is a comedy.
2: <laughs> Lots of unintentional humor there for sure. But uh, we're not talking about either Wicker Man tonight, um, as we do at the end of every episode. Um, if you are listening for the first time here, uh, Adam and I pick a good and a bad movie uh, randomly based on the general topic that we're covering. Um, so we did at the end of the last episode for our occult horror episode. And so uh, we ended up uh, with my bad pick of rob zombies lords of salem and then the good pick that emily kind of mentioned earlier the empty man which was adam's good pick so we'll have a lot of uh, fun discussing the two of those And we're going to start with the lords of salem i just saw the tenant like 10 minutes ago standing in the doorway To break it to you, but there is no person in number five.
1: The curse, the lords of Salem, possessing the souls of the Salem women, which the devil's child would inherit the earth. Satan,
0: come Come to us. us.
2: So, uh, The Lords of Salem came out uh, April 19th, 2013, from writer-director Rob Zombie, who we need to pause and at least talk a bit about, because uh, we've referenced Rob Zombie on and off Adam, but we've never talked about one of his films on the show. And I think he's a very interesting voice in horror. Um, Whether you like his films or not, I think that's very much the case. He has a distinctive voice in horror. Would you agree?
1: Distinctive, you mean kind of? plagiarizing things that have come before you yeah <laughs> absolutely he, no nah, i mean he does but it all feels like the 70s grime. everything in his has a similar tone to sort of things that have come forward, just with uh more cursing and uh more uh, rednecky sort of stuff to it and i can tell you why we've never covered a movie of his on the show because he's got one that's really good and then the rest are varying degrees of okay or shit uh, at least my personal opinion but um I just yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if I feel like he's uh, a distinct voice as much as maybe he thinks he is or maybe like mega fans think he is. I, I to me it'd be more like your um your Flanagans or even your Alex Ajahs or some people like that, I'd say have more of a distinct, distinct voice than Rob Zombie.
2: Well, Kat, I'm curious because I don't think we've ever talked about Zombie on like various Dragon Con panels and stuff like that we've been on together. Um, how do you feel about Zombie's work, whether it be his music or his films and all that? How do, how do you like him in general?
0: It's interesting because I had one opinion about Rob Zombie where I was just like not a fan of him when I lived in the South. And then I moved up to Massachusetts and I lived close to where Rob Zombie's from. So he's more of a like a presence here where there's like a fandom, there's people who are like, oh yeah, this is, where, this is his hometown. So now I'm like, oh, I see what he was referencing. He was referencing this place, like where this all was. And it's kind of his, you know, metal version of that. But it's also a regurgitation of everything he's seen before. When I watched... Uh, the Devil's Rejects and uh House of Thousand Corpses. Like, I was like, there are some really strange literary novels thrown into these 70s style movies, like like really long monologues. I'm like, oh, that monologue was great. I loved everything um, that Sid Hag did. I loved all of his lines, just like especially his. It was like all of his writing work went into that. And I was like, Oh, I actually I like that. But it felt like it felt like I was watching a music video that we decide, okay, we're going to put a plot into it. Something intrinsic about it. He thinks about music first and then does the movie second, almost like if somebody were to try to make a storyline out of a music video, that would be his movies. That's how I would describe them.
2: I don't think that's entirely inaccurate. Um, I would say for me, like watching, especially like I revisited some of his movies. I remember when I first saw these movies, I I was more in the camp. If I agreed like devil's Rejects is the one that I would say I personally loved And then all the other ones were varying degrees of I don't like it to I really hate it. But I think I've gone back to some of these things. I think especially post like the Halloween remake and its sequel, there was that kind of like atmosphere around like horror culture of sorts about Rob Zombie. And then going back to some of his movies, even like the Halloween movies when I was like going through all of those. It's just like I do think he is a distinctive voice that doesn't necessarily mean that I think all his movies are great. Like you mentioned like a Mike and Adam and some of the other like bigger auteur guys. I think those are better voices necessarily, like ones I consistently more enjoy. But I think whenever you watch a Rob Zombie movie, there is no ifs, ands, or buts that it is definitely a Rob Zombie movie. Like his style is distinct in that like you can spot a movie of his right away. And sometimes I think that works. Like I would argue with House of Thousand Corpses or especially Devil's Rejects. And sometimes I think they're really bad. Like, I would go as far as, say, like, a 31 or um, even, like, his original Halloween remake I'm not as big a fan of. But I would put, like, a Lords of Salem our subject for today. Maybe even something else like Halloween 2. Some of his movies in more of, like, this middle camp where I think there's fascinating elements that draws me and intrigues me to want to see his movies. But at the same time, I'm not as compelled to think that they work as a whole nearly as often. agree with what Kat said. Like, he really likes the music video kind of visuals. And also I would argue character stuff. I think he's really solid with the characters. Um, in his movies, he makes distinctive, interesting people that you would want to see in your movies, even if they are horrible, disgusting people, but he doesn't quite care about having it be a cohesive story in a way that's, like I said, sometimes compelling and sometimes grating. And I think this movie exemplifies a lot of that to me.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) And, And I'm curious, Kat, you hadn't seen this one before. Um, watching it so no. what, what do you think specifically of lords of salem then
0: so it was definitely my least i also loved house of a thousand corpses i had a lot of fun watching that but this one i tried to watch it and i fell asleep it's almost kind of a compliment because i felt really comfortable with it like oh this this is cool this is a series of images they're pretty striking i'm gonna and the music's cool I'm gonna, and i just like went to sleep so i watched it again and then i realized the thing that I wasn't connecting with is the fact that it feels like a series of images and it felt more so with this movie than with his other ones. He was trying to make a point about Salem witches and religion and like witchcraft versus religion and having choice versus following God, like all these things he wanted to say. And he wanted to say so much. There was like just images left over and there was no plot for me. It was just, wait, what's happening to her? I don't remember anyone's name. I don't know what's going on. I just saw a bunch of like images strung together by very thin string. But the one thing I liked is that I recognized all of where it was shot. Because I go to Salem, Massachusetts all the time. And I was like, oh, I know exactly where that is and where that is and where that is. And I knew some of the things he was taking and then the things that were, like, fact and the things that were, like, I'm going to spin this into fiction. So I thought that was cool mostly because I have a tie to the actual place of, like, I love Salem. I, I go there all the time. I know a lot of the shops and the owners there, and it felt like he really wanted to rail home this, like, heavy metal music video of, like, witches summoning the Antichrist from one of the Hawthorns, and, like, that was the video. That was the point, man.
2: Right. Yeah, it definitely has an interesting, firm sense of place. I, I would agree on that. But uh, Adam, what about you? What, are you? what are your thoughts on Lords of Samuels, especially with your less than charitable reading on Zombie in general?
1: I actually kind of appreciate this movie for the reasons that I think Cat doesn't. I like sort of the abstract nature of the whole movie, of the narrative, um, because it is almost like a fever dream that our lead is going through and, and the changes she's going through and all the crazy images and and stuff that she's seeing in her head as she becomes whatever the fuck she's supposed to be becoming. Uh, I don't know if it's a vessel, uh, or, or what it is, but, uh, I, I actually really do kind of appreciate the, uh, like I said, the abstract nature of it all. I, I love the actual main song. Uh, it's very creepy and unnerving to me. And, um, I think uh our sort of performances especially the landlord and her two sisters so D Wallace and uh, forgive me I don't I cannot place any of their actual names right and now. Jody
2: Geeson is the the landlord yeah. and then um it's Patricia Quinn
1: is the other sister along with right. Wallace. And then D Wallace, right, right. I think they're great. Um, I really love them and I, I love that they all have such sort of different characters, uh, where D. Wallace is kind of this bubbly one and Patricia Kin's way the more serious one. And then the landlord is like kind of approachable and, and it comes off like she really cares about Heidi and things like that. Um, I think that's a great sort of uh trio of performances. And I really, really um thought Meg Foster like kinda nailed it in this one. This was sort of her major comeback role and she she's been in most zombie movies since and uh i think she's absolutely terrifying and committed to just being really terrifying and and uh and plus i gotta give her credit for going full nudity in it it it, for for me i i wasn't expecting it but i was like wow she's really committed to this performance i don't know i kind of like this one for some reason and i know a lot of people who don't but this one, uh, maybe it's because before I saw it, it had sort of been just critically destroyed, both uh, in the media and on certain podcasts I listened to. Uh, so I was expecting the worst thing ever, and uh, I was actually
2: pleasantly surprised, and still kind of am. Yeah, I remember when it first came out, I was definitely more in, like the hate it column. I was not a fan of it necessarily. I was, I just thought like the abstraction and weirdness just kind of put me off in a way that um, I think now with time, and especially I think after this movie. Seeing Zombie just kind of retreat back to what he did before with like 31, I mentioned earlier, but even also the uh, the three from hell, the third in that uh, Firefly trilogy, it feels so much like he was just kind of retreating back to his old worn territory that going back to Lords of Sandwich feels a bit more fresh. I don't think it quite culminates that well. I think once we get the weird chicken fetus thing. <laughs> that pops up near the end of the movie. That is really where I start like kind of checking out of it. But at the same time, I agree with the performances you were talking about. Um, all, all four of those um, veteran horror actresses I think are quite phenomenal. And also, I would genuinely say Sherry Moon Zombie, who is the wife of Rob Zombie, and has been in all of his movies to some extent. Um, I think this is definitely her best performance. Not that I don't like her as Baby Firefly, um, though I think the laugh can be a bit grating. <laughs> the more that they kind of lean on that for her character in those movies but i think this is her most chill down to earth performance in a way where it's like oh you feel like an actual person who i would know like her chemistry between with uh jeff daniel phillips and the great ken foray um as the radio hosts, i felt was very genuine in a way where it's like these people have hung out for like years and have been like working together forever and you immediately get the sense of, like, oh, there's a real lived-in sensibility to their relationship.
0: Yeah, I I really love that. That was actually something I was going to compliment, is I did like everyone's performances in it. And I agree with you about um, Sherry Moon. Like, I've always liked her. Your eye just naturally gravitates towards her. But this, you're right, it felt like it was more down-to-earth, relatable, somebody you would know. And all of the scenes with her in her apartment were just, like, I really relate to her once they started listening to the music and I, and it started to get just like images because you're trying to create that hallucinogenic, like she's seeing things from hearing the music. That's where it started to lose me. I'm like, wait, what is she thinking? What is she feeling? Because she got really withdrawn. And that's where I got lost. Um, but I felt like it was way more realistic also at the same time of like how someone would act.
1: I think it's her best performance too. Probably her most, um, you understated and naturalistic performance. And also she does have a really good connection with Jeff Graham Phillips and Ken Foley, for sure. The fact that she, in the movie, she's a recovering addict really sort of plays into the, the paranoia of the other two, which is really, which I thought was really well done where they think she's sort of gone back to her, you know, drugs or whatever it is. And, and they don't really can't either see or don't want to believe that it's something else happening. Um, I thought was actually a really smart play. And I, I do think she carried the movie better in this than she's done in any other rob zombie movie for sure that i i've never like been a big detractor of hers i just always thought like maybe don't let her lead the entire movie because she's not the strongest performer you know in this one she's she carries it pretty well man she she's it's a solid solid performance from her and i think i agree with you thomas i think that's one of the reasons why i look back on this a little bit more favorably because like after this one Halloween 2, where he kind of went off the rails and just kind of did this weird art piece set against a Michael Myers' story. He comes out with 31 and 3 from Hell, and it's like, oh, wow, we've seen these before already and done better. Like, these just feel like going back to the well, but the well's dried up.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with this being, uh, this is one of the early Blumhouse productions. Jason Blum literally went up to Rob Zombie, just like, look, I know you had a weird time on the Halloween movies, but you get full creative control, do whatever the hell you want. And I think that's definitely the case, with Lords of Salem in a way that feels like he's definitely kind of like opening himself up to doing like, Oh, I can experiment. I can do something weird and interesting. And I think the, the most interesting stuff I, I agree is really like the, all the stuff that like with the radio station people and how you really get a sense of their relationship. It, it has, It's the weird rare Rob zombie movie that has like subtlety to it, where you get the sense of like you mentioned Adam about like, Oh, like clearly she's had drug problems in the past and they're kind of, like, working through, like, oh, is she doing this again? And it's like, no, don't – we just want to, like, deal with this. We'll – like, especially at the end when they, like – Jif Daniel Phillips leads her back to, like, the big concert venue. Just like, look, man, we'll deal with this tomorrow. We just – let's kind of get through tonight. Let's do this right. And, I'm like, I really get a full sense, like, these people have been hanging out with each other for a while. And they really know each other back and forth. And I think that really plays out well, especially with the weird, like, the way that Jeff Daniel Phillips and Sherry Moon Zombie's relationship is doled out, I think is beautifully subtle in a way where it's just like, oh, I get the full sense of, like, these two have had, like, an on-again, off-again relationship. It's nothing's been serious, but things are becoming a bit more serious because he's concerned about her. And she's worried about like losing any content to reality. And he kind of feels like that to her at this particular point. And especially with like the way she goes to like the meetings and then really worried and paranoid, it does feel like somebody who's been through that kind of addiction. And anyway, where it's like, oh, I'm really fascinated with these characters. And I'd like to see more of their connection rather than my biggest problem. is like, how many times does this fucking movie do like the dream sequence thing where something's happening and they're like, oh my God, it's a dream. Like it does it a lot. <laughs> Just to, like fill up the yes. time it feels like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no I definitely agree with you uh, the sort of whoa dream thing is done quite a bit in this and I'd argue certain times it does work really well other times it's just for shock value especially the um, sort of the priest and the church scene
2: yes that's uh, the exact one I was thinking of. A <laughs>
1: much. Yeah, it's, a, it's a little much it's unlike any of his other films I mean a hundred percent doesn't necessarily make it a great movie no of course not But at least it's something different than everything else he's done. So for that, I kind of respect it. It's this weird sort of 70s trippy witchcraft type movie that's just kind of nutty. I do also agree the little chicken fetus with the tentacles is fucking ridiculous. Like you're telling me me nobody saw that fucking thing like come out for the first time. It was like, wait, 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 wait what is this supposed to be now? Like, are we supposed to be scared of this thing or what? Like, I mean, look, yeah, it might be the son of the devil or the devil or whatever. I punt that fucking thing. Like, get that (laughs) thing away from me. Like, what the fuck is that going to do? I think, stop, you know, just stop, man. Fuck, you're hitting my elbow.
2: Get out of here. punt it right into the oven. Cook on five, three, two, (laughs) two,
0: two, I didn't know if it was like a root system or a chicken. I couldn't figure it out.
2: But that's true, especially the ending <laughs> one where it looks like a weird lobster creature of some sort when she gives birth to it at the end.
0: It was so comical. I was just like, I can't, I'm not afraid of it. I am glad Rob Zombie's doing his own thing because sometimes I feel so starved for somebody doing something that's not a remake. I'm like, I will watch a chicken fetus, yes. Yes, thank you. This is definitely not the worst movie I've seen at all. I thought there was a lot of merit to it. And I also was like, it's not quite landing with me. I'm bored in some places, but it's still more interesting. It's still original. It's still like a different way of thinking and seeing things like addiction and religious pressure and that whole Puritan uh, mindset that's still in the roots of New England. And yeah, I just like that he's got what he's trying to do and being himself. And that's cool. Like I have complete
2: respect for that. We mentioned her earlier, but uh, Meg Foster is phenomenal in this movie with like, she opens up the movie with like that whole sequence around the fire. I think is pretty stunning. And I think I I love like those cuts over to the witch trial stuff from like back in the day. I love the fact that like those sequences, I think are example where Rob Zombie kind of uses his grimy aesthetic In a different way where it's like, oh, this is the fireflies in Texas. And they're, like, saying, run, rabbit, run, all that kind of shit. They're not doing that. So, instead, it's a lot more of this, like, using that grimy aesthetic to bring to life the idea of, like, these witches who are trying to sort of carve out their own kind of vengeance against people who have driven them out to the woods, basically. Trying to, like birth a new uh creature to like lead them into being the superior sort of society that's going to destroy that puritanical thing that cat was talking about i i agree that i think Meg foster just puts it all out there and i think that's makes it even more terrifying when we see her in like present day as the movie goes along if anything it's like i wish there was more of her and like we mentioned d wallace patricia quinn and uh, judy Geeson i think are like so phenomenal they just weave in and out of the movie in favor of some of the stuff like the big Sasquatch guy in the room?
1: Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you though, uh, about sort of the the past with the Griminess and the Rob Zombie. His general look, you know, sort of even with the Sepia tone to it, but they're around the fire. But yeah, they're not, you know, Run Rabbit Run or fucking you know, skull face paint. They're fucking licking babies and shit. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. It's very. <laughs> like, the first time I saw this, movie, I was like, the oh, licking fuck. baby scene. Yeah, <laughs> like i th- but that's the one thing about it too like as soon as that shit happened i'm like oh all right this is going to be fucking dark like there was no question like <laughs> we're about to get get dirty with this one why is there a fucking sasquatch in this movie like what the fuck dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> it should have been that thing instead of the fucking chicken lobster whatever the fuck that was like that that's how we get chicken nuggets They cut that
2: thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's really secretly about the meat industry if you think about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's that that thing's fucking poop. It just poops out that pink jelly. Uh, (laughs) uh, But yeah, dude, there's a lot of shit I really, like, I love the look of the whole cathedral at the end or whatever it's supposed to be, like that hotel, how beautiful and gold and bright it all is. The score is grandiose. I don't even mind the, like, demon bishops like masturbating scene i think it's a, a really perfectly macabre disturbing yet with the religious sort of tones to it to kind of tell the story he's trying to tell that didn't really even bother me it's a little nuts but still like whatever fuck it it's the story he's trying to tell it's just i wish he would either like you said thomas leaned on sort of meg foster and the other three more so than maybe the the creature stuff you know He's trying to tell a really weird fucking story, and I do think it maybe got away from him a little bit. I think if this movie does kind of show anything, it's that Rob Zombie doesn't necessarily need to have somebody constantly checking him on his decisions, but he maybe needs a little bit of guidance when it comes to certain things.
2: I'd say nothing else, maybe a collaborator.
1: Yeah, th- absolutely.
2: Um, absolutely. I mean, especially if nothing else to like give some people a bit more time, like the weird thing where – this was clearly like very edited together to the degree that like people like Michael Barryman and Sid Haig and Barbara Crampton are in here for like three shots at most. They like pop up and it's like, what the fuck are they doing here? Then why do you get like horror legends to just kind of be yeah, there, like, uh, yeah, we're in the we're kind of here in the background for like a couple shots.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I think originally the Michael Barryman, Sid Haig characters were witch hunters, right? Uh, during the past, and I think. It, the idea was that they were the ones who captured meg Foster and the rest of them. Yeah, that was so alarming. While well, I'm watching, the, is that Michael Barrett? Oh, I don't know if it was. He's off screen already. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, like yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And I still don't even see Barbara Crampton in this. Where the fuck is Barbara Crampton in this?
2: There's the bit where they play the Lords of Salem music on the radio for the first time and they show all the women who were like stop doing what they're doing the one who's the florist is barbara crampton
1: i thought so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why? okay that's why i didn't notice her because why
2: <laughs> um but i wanted to ask then kat um you said there was a lot of like these weird images that you didn't quite connect to were there any that you were sort of like fascinated by, even if they seemed kind of like arbitrary.
0: I love the extravaganza that happened to your eyes at the end. I agree with Adam that I just didn't have a problem with, at that end part, the priest role masturbate, you know, like I felt like, okay, yeah, fuck religion. Like this is her subconscious kind of trying to interpret the horror that is happening in front of her. And she just can't understand. I felt like that sequence, I went, okay, yeah, this feels like a psychedelic trip like, where she's totally maxed out on what's happening. I also loved all the golden religious, like, awe that was put in it to kind of show how big and oppressive the structure is. And with the heavy music, like, cranked up, of like, yes, here is the baby that you have birthed at the top of the golden stairs. I was like, okay, I get this scene. I I get what's happening here, what he's saying here. I'm very visual, so I love where stuff is, like, really good-looking. A lot of the time, if I watch a movie and it's really good-looking, I can forgive plot holes because I, like, I go into it thinking, I'm just going to watch this for the visuals, and then I enjoy myself. If you look at it just the plot, it's really, really good what he's doing here. But because we're just going through these sequences very quickly, we're not getting a chance to feel it and emote with her and connect with her and be like, oh, holy shit with her. That's what I had a problem with.
2: I think I generally agree with what you're talking about there, basically, that like there's this weird facet of it where it's like, I like this general story of, you know, Sherry Moon being this former drug addict that's kind of dealing with this summoning of these witches. And I think the best images are the ones that really continue with that. Like, I agree. I think the whole finale has a lot of great elements with that, um, particularly. (laughs) the I love the image so much of like when the curtain rises on the stage and it's, like, all the witches in stark whiteness on that stage. Um I yes. think it's, like, this really horrific, just, like, oh, my God, we're, like, opening, like, a new dimension, basically, into terror at this point. all the lead-up stuff to eventually the final shot of Sherry Moon on top of that uh, thing of bodies, um, just uh, with the um, Velvet Underground playing. I think it's, like, it's another similar example of, like, a music video image, but at the same time, you focus on it long enough to where, like, oh, this is... We, we see that, like, this is her eventual fate to just being a part of, like, this massive cult of being a martyr so that this cult can continue doing what they're doing. I think I agree. Like, that stuff works a lot better than, like, some of the dream sequences that happen. Like, the one where it's, like, she's at Jeff Daniel Phillips's apartment, and all of a sudden he gets killed by a bunch of, like, weird faceless doctors. Uh, and then she, like, gives birth to the thing the first time through C-section, and then she wakes up. Just like, okay, I, I get that that's, like, something that's waning on her because of all this stuff with the music, but at the same time, it still just feels like it's so sudden. But at the same time, that doesn't bother me as much with, like, sequences where you do focus a bit longer on it. Like, I think the movie gives you enough context with, like, Bruce Davidson's character for, like, what exactly the plot is supposed to be so that you can f- have more fun and focus on something like the scene where he tries to warn Sharon Moon Zombie about this and D Wallace beats the shit out of him with the teapot. Which I'm just like I'm I'm down for just d Wallace being a fucking badass. She, the way she like gets that cigarette, just like, well, I better finish it, and then just completely decimates that dude. Once again, like her and Patricia Quinn and Jody Judy Geeson are like the reason to watch this movie. The way the three of them like communicate with each other in a way that feels like they're sisters, but also have such sister intentions. They are stellar. Um, but we do have a whole other movie to talk about. So we should go ahead and, I guess, go into some quick final thoughts on Lords of Salem before we get to our next feature. Um, Kat, your final thoughts on Lords of Salem.
0: I would watch it again. It's definitely given me a different point of view of it, um, having this discussion with you all. And it makes me want to watch more of Rob Zombie's movies because I haven't seen everything he's made. And I'm excited for The monsters. That they gave him the monsters, because he's wanted that for forever. So I'm I'm really happy when people get their, like, passion IP that they really wish they could work with. It didn't connect with me the first time I watched it, but I think I will watch it again to see what else I take away from it.
2: I'm just happy that man gets to dig through the ditches and burn through the witches for once, finally.
0: Finally! <laughs>
2: finally, after so long. For sure, yes. Uh, but Adam, your final thoughts? on Lords of Salem.
1: I, I Like I said, I think it's still a pretty solid fucking movie. It, there's a lot of really good performances here. There's a lot of um, unsettling imagery, especially when it deals to things with religious tones to it. So, I mean, if you're someone who's maybe a little bit more on the religious side, I could see where you might have a problem with this movie, but then again, you probably shouldn't be going in to watch this type of movie if you are like that. I think it's a really good sort of a uh, modern witchcraft movie you know you, you gotta figure we don't get a lot of those mainstream anymore like straight up witches in movies it doesn't happen that often uh so when it does i i, I tend to try to seek them out and i think this is a pretty solid one it's not amongst the best but it, it's certainly not amongst the worst either um i think it's uh you know a, a good movie to watch during, especially during this season Um, And if you've never seen it, or if you want to be either a witch movie completionist or a zombie movie completionist, uh, you know, you could do worse, uh, especially with uh, both of those sort of genres. Uh, You could watch 31, and I do not recommend doing that. Uh, Or you could watch Haunted World of El Superbisto, and I definitely don't recommend doing that either. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I think Lords of Salem is is a good, solid uh number three for rob zombie i think it is his third best movie in his entire sort of uh filmography as of
2: yet yeah i think you can tell that there's a lot of influence for from him for stuff like kubrick and other things where it's a thing where i agree that like you see his influence a lot in his movies but at the same time i don't ever feel like he's just wholesale copying any of his influence as much as he's just kind of filtering it through his hellbilly deluxe filter as it were, and I think you can even see that with Lords of Salem, but it doesn't lean as much on like the hellbilly elements you get from like the Firefly family. I think it definitely feels like him stretching himself out a bit in a way that doesn't always work. I think it's sort of a mixed bag. But I think at the same time, it's a much more fascinating than I gave it credit for initially, and has a lot more to it than some of his later movies that would happen from here, and has some pretty solid performances. It's weird where you would never imagine that Zombie is like an actor's director. But I think this is the best example to show you that, like, oh, no, he really is. I think he has gives gets such interesting performances of everybody to the point where I agree with what Kat said about I'm very curious about his Monsters movie, if nothing else, because it's going to be Sherry Moon, obviously, as the mother, but also Jeff Daniel Phillips is supposed to play the uh, father character from the Monsters, uh, the guy from this movie, who I think is kind of perfect for Herman. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm very fascinated to see him take on that part. Um, but, and also just to have it be something very different for zombie, because just like, if he just sticks to like, let me do like a weird core comedy, that leans more on the comedy of this family being together. I think that could really work out for him. But, um, before we get into our next feature, here is a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours.
0: Hello. I am the monster of the monster sci-fi show. You may be confused, but I am the superior version of the monster and not just some variant much like me. This podcast is burdened with glorious purpose. I'm here to say this podcast delivers timely sci-fi and pop culture news plus movie and TV commentary reviews. In the end, is this not simpler? Subscribe to the Monster Sci-Fi Show. It's sci-fi. From a certain point of view, the Monster Sci-Fi Show is part of the ESO Network.
2: All right, now let's get into our second feature, The Empty Man.
1: Hey, wait. We got to try
2: it. Try what? Calling the empty man. Who's the empty man? If you're on a bridge and you find a bottle, you blow into it, and you think about the empty man. Oh, come on, Mandy. How old are you? Tell him the rest. On the first night, you hear him. And on the second night, you see him. And on the third night? Well, on the third night, he finds you. can hear him, can't you? Squirming his way into your thoughts. Like a disease. And his message is contagious. So, uh, The Empty Man came out October 23rd, 2020, uh, from writer-director David Pryor. And it was based on a graphic novel by uh, Colin Bunn and Vanessa Del Rey, which... Um, Kat, you kind of intimated you're a fan, at least, of the author's works. Had you read the Empty Man graphic novel before seeing the movie?
0: No. I went into the movie completely blind. I actually kind of liked it that way because I felt like it was really good to see what exactly they were going to pull off with it, especially with COVID going on. So I feel like it's been difficult to get movies out that, especially that are, like, original, standalone, like... This is a completely different concept, not from a franchise, not from Marvel, not from Disney, not from a remake. And I went, I'm just going to go watch it before I have a chance to find the graphic novel and read it, because I'm like, I want to support the movie. I want to support movies that come out right now, especially the, the horror films that are not, you know, the franchises and things I mentioned. And so I'm like, we're just going to watch it. Let's support it. And I was so happy because a lot of my friends were like, watch it, watch it, watch it. And I was like, I don't know, because much like we learned from um, the last movie, a lot of the time when I watch a movie for the first time, I don't like it. It takes me three or four viewings to be like, okay, now I see where it's going. But with The Empty Man, I immediately liked it. Uh, That was just really nice to go, yeah, I love it. So. I had problems with it here and there. I didn't think it was like perfect or anything, but like I, I just loved what it was doing.
2: And uh, Adam, you're more of a comics person in general. Um, but you, had you ever heard of even the graphic novel for this or not? Fuck no,
1: I had no <laughs> <laughs> idea. No, I had never even heard of it, man. I had no idea it even existed. The reason I even glommed onto this movie is because I, I, you know, on Letterboxd, I'd seen, sort of yours and a couple other, you know, friends of the show, post reviews about it. And the name of it alone, The Empty Man, I'm like, how the fuck can something called The Empty Man be that good? Because I immediately got Bye Bye Man vibes and Slender Man vibes because of the title. So I'm like, there's no fucking way. And even if you watch the trailer, it doesn't really sort of dissuade that idea. So I'm like, there's no fucking way. So I I told you, Thomas, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try that fucking Empty Man movie. And your exact response was, oh, this is an Adam movie and i'm like i don't know and then i got about a 45 minutes in and i'm like oh yeah no this is totally my shit (laughs) like this is (laughs) what a solid solid piece of horror filmmaking this is i gotta imagine the source material is great too for it to even be options But, but it's a shame that because of you know covid and everything that it never really got the chance to sort of get an audience i mean i'm glad it got the HBO max release and it has found sort of a cult appreciation to it but uh This one, I'll tell you, man, I I really wish this one would have got a wider release and been a classic sort of word of mouth success story where, you know, people would see it and be like at the theater and be like, oh man, no, it's really fucking good. You should go see it. And it really caught on through that. I think this would be a prime candidate for that sort of old school, like I said, word of mouth campaign. I think this would have benefited very, very well from that Um, for everyone involved, including our lead actor, uh, who's really fucking good in it. Um, I've always seen him in a couple random parts. Like he was an iron man three man. He's really fucking good in it. The whole cast is really solid in this movie. I, I think this is just uh, a really fucking scary, unnerving, bizarre, almost a dreamlike fuckery of a movie.
2: Yeah. Kat mentioned earlier the whole thing about like, Oh, things that aren't like Disney or like the big franchise. It's interesting that she mentioned that because of the weird history where, Long before even COVID, this was a movie that apparently managed to get like $60 million to make. And immediately Fox, who originally owned it um, back in like 2018, was just like, this is so uncommercial. It's a 137 minute long movie that's very slow and doesn't have like a, a lot of like big exciting scares. It's more of like an oncoming dread. So we're going to put it on a shelf for several years. And it didn't get released until Disney bought Fox and was just like, "What? what is this? The, the Empty Man fine, let's just dump it in theaters, whatever theaters are open during COVID. So that's why this movie managed to only make $4.2 million, because just dumped in the middle of COVID. And I agree that it's so much of a bummer that not only is it a movie that deserved a bigger release in more traditional times, but also it's a movie where, like, it's so scarce in terms of its availability, where, like, you can either watch it on HBO Max or, like, on Spectrum On Demand, Um, a service I'm sure every Spectrum customer knows about and is (laughs) unaware that it exists. Um, And then (laughs) even in terms of like, you can only rent it off of like Apple TV currently for like $6. And that's like the only place you can even like rent or buy it from. Like it's such a weird movie that like Disney, Fox, or 20th Century Studios is trying to bury. To the point where this movie starts with a 20th Century Fox logo, which all the trailers just said 20th Century Studios because the entire Fox angle had been completely dumped. (laughs) By the time this movie came out, like it's how much they didn't give a shit about it. They didn't even put the new logo for the studio on it, which is such a bummer. Because I agree that this movie, I think, is pretty great. I agree that uh, James Badge Dale is the actor Adam was referring to, our lead, and it's so phenomenal. And also, David Pryor, for like, this is his first feature film. Because prior to this, he was like the big behind the scenes documentarian for David Fincher's movies. Like, any special feature on a David Fincher movie you saw prior to this was made by David Pryor. And he has such interesting touch where you can see the uh, Fincher influence on him as a director, but also um, it's more just like this building horrific dread that feels almost like it's a 70s horror movie because you're following like James Badgedale in this way where it's just like you get a full sense of like, oh, here's his life and all the mistakes he's made and the regret that he's had. And he's just trying to investigate basically to clear that particular name for himself um, and stumbles upon the Empty Man concept. And by the way, that's all I want to say to anybody who might not be aware of this movie, which I'm sure might be a lot of our audience, because I would like you to pause this episode right now and watch The Empty Man, because we're going to spoil it here, and we don't want to spoil it for you, because this movie takes so many interesting twists and turns. We would definitely all recommend you watch all 137 minutes of it (laughs) before you listen to the rest of our discussion here. Um, But Adam, so you said within 45 minutes, became aware like, oh, this is a movie for me. When did it really, like, hook you? When you really get to your, like, horror-loving heart specifically
1: pretty much right the fuck away uh the, the opening <laughs> scene before you even get to the titles is so unnerving and creepy and like you said there's a mounting sense of dread now i will say uh when they you know when they're in a cave and you see like the big skeleton thing and all that i'm like oh no what the fuck is this i thought uh, it's just a fucking stupid creature movie i uh, this is not what i really want to watch right now i've seen so many of them but then when the shit really hits the fucking fan and homeboy's girlfriend goes off, it's insane, dude. It's scary, it's unnerving, it's viscerally violent. I mean, it is so brutally violent. And it's in this stark white, sort of snow-capped mountain where they can barely see because the wind just thrashing the snow about. It's it starts off as this sort of like isolation cabin movie and then just blows up into this what the fuck is it (laughs) this sort of movie the whole time i'm guessing is this something lovecraftian is this something like what is this and ultimately the scene where it really got me is when it's the girl in the sauna with the scissors and they just show oh no she's just doing it to herself like, there is not actually something they were doing it to her. It is her doing it. And I thought that was fucked up. And also, the kids under the bridge. I was like, oh, we are really diving into something terrifying here.
2: Kat, when did it really grab you? Was it maybe during that big... 20- we should mention the sequence Adam's talking about at the beginning is, like, the first 20 minutes of the movie when the title card drops. Like, that's the first 20 minutes, then the story restarts completely. Like, did it really grab you there, or where did this really like grab your attention to something unique for the horror genre.
0: So I have pretty much everything in common with what Adam is saying. Like the first 20 minutes where I I was in, when they went down into the snow and the guy's like praying to this giant bone thing. And I'm like, yes, please be like alien. Please be like the thing. This is going to be awesome. And then I got quiet for like 20 minutes where they're all trapped in the snow and you're not really sure. What their plan is how they're going to get out um, from mountain climbing and that was like my worst nightmare is that you're stuck there in the snow you have no way to get out one of your parties injured like and you're at the top of a mountain how are you going to get down you have no way to call for help you have no signal like that is my nightmare and when they got pushed off the cliff and everybody like died I was like oh my god I'm in I'm in I'm in and then it just it kept up for the rest of the movie I'm like yes perfect But it was unsettling, that quiet. I realized later that when I was just like, okay, I'm kind of bored now, that actually was more unsettling because it didn't have a pace I was used to. It surprised the hell out of me that that's the direction it took. And I was like, oh, yay, I love it. I think my favorite scene in the whole movie was the kids, you know, very start, there's these teenagers and they're on the bridge and... They've got the Coke bottle, and, like, this is the legend of the empty man. I was like, oh, I love this scene. It's not really anything happening, but there's a hint that it's out there. And I was like, I love that kind of thing, or get that kind of quiet. where You're not sure what else is in the woods with you. That was phenomenal. Um, But the twist at the end where you realize, like, the tulpa part, was the part I connected with the most, that there's somebody who's been built up to be the vessel for The Empty Man. But I'm a big David Lynch fan, and he uses tulpas all the time. So I think that's why, because I had already seen a whole bunch of tulpa stuff with David Lynch hanging in there through all of Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks The Return, that's why I went, all right, I understand the ending. But I felt like at the end... I had to watch it twice because I didn't totally get it at the same time. Like the first time I was like, wait, what just happened? what okay so i wouldn't be surprised if other people went well that was kind of like a note where i didn't get it or i
2: fell off that definitely was the case for me where the first time i watched it i really did enjoy the movie greatly but i was very confused by that kind of like the tulpa twist that was going on there i was a bit confused by it but going back to it this time this is the second time i watched it i think i was really able to grab particularly like what the movie does that you guys have talked about like the use of quiet i just love that the movie has like the patience To be able to do stuff like the 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 bit that grabbed me immediately was very early on when the entire group goes back up to the cabin, and you have the guy who ends up being the like the initial talpa that we see, and all that they're doing is just that weird whisper like noise that's going which just like like that creeped me the hell out (laughs) immediately. Just like what? Like I can tell you're talking because I can hear your lips like separate i don't know what the hell you're talking about what's going on what's this weird like walla walla like background noise that someone would put into like the background of like a movie like for overdub adr shit like what is this what are you guys talking about it immediately put me on edge and the movie like really focuses so much on that where like the horrificness of this cult is all in like how they aren't saying anything like so much of it where even like shout out to um i believe it's uh Marin ireland is the one who plays Nora who I believe is the the young girl, who I think is such a standout in this movie. Just immediately a talent that was just like, I want to see you in more movies. Because she is, the first time you watch it, instantly just like, oh, she's kind of like a weird separated girl, but like you really feel for her and you want uh, James Badgetale to find her. Then, as the movie goes along and you find that oh, she's like the weird architect of his entire misery <laughs> and his weird upsetting existence as like a weird ragdoll man basically like you can see so much of, like her manipulations from the start even like that great bridge scene you were talking about cat like that is such a stellar example of her being like oh i'm introducing a fun little thing like this spooky story about the empty man oh no it might be real oh no we gotta get out of here guys even though it's just like i'm leading you all to your deaths <laughs> that's <laughs> what i'm doing here it's so unsettling especially like re-watching it she just instantly oh. up all these creepy feelings.
0: Can we talk about that Like one scene where the entire crowd of the cult that James has stumbled on move as one?
1: I love that scene. Absolutely love it. It gave me a lot of 28 Days Later vibes where they all froze and saw him and they all start chasing him. Because uh, that's one of my... The creepiest things to me in movies is when all of a sudden the entity you're observing immediately takes notice of you and starts coming after you. Um, it's terrifying to me. And this one really did it. But, hey, James Batchdale did exactly what I would have thought. He was like, yeah, fuck this. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Okay, fuck this. Like, yeah, absolutely, dude. Get the fuck out of there. But, yeah, they're running after him in unison. It's so scary and frightening, and you can't really see any of them because they're all wearing, like, hoods and things. It's just so, uh, I don't like it. Like, yeah, it's very scary.
2: It's, very, it's the combination scary. of him saying, like, the, oh, yeah, no, and then running away. But also, even him, after, like, getting past all those guys in his car and everything's fine, just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> what was that? And his car just instantly, like, yep, the most relatable thing. I would instantly do the moment I got the fuck out <laughs> of
1: like you, you gotta floor those fuckers down too. Like dude, just get the fuck out of there. You know this is definitely one of those where I, I've told certain people who I know this would sort of be up their alley. I'm like, you gotta watch the Empty Man. It sounds fucking dumb. Yeah, I know. I thought that too. It's was fucking Empty Man. Well, like he's a wino. No, not like he's a wino. <laughs> I mean, kinda, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, just just watch the fucking thing. And uh, all the response I've gotten from people who gave it a chance has been extremely positive.
0: Yeah, I don't know why with, like, say the popularity of It Follows, like how many people love It Follows, like an urban legend that's fresh and different. How have they not heard of The Empty Man and realized this is that same thing? Like, there is something everyone knows about, has heard about, you don't know enough, so you're following the guy who's trying to investigate and figure out and get to the bottom of it. And turns out he's been tied into it the whole time. That's like one of my favorite storylines. I loved it. And it was so different. And then all those people moved like a school of tuna. And it was terrifying. I think you were right. And then it's like 28 days later. But they don't run at you blindly. They just sort of move together. And then they run. And then they stop. And then they run. And then they full-on run. And you're just like, ah, they, it, they're they intelligent. They're not like zombies where they're just going to come after you in a horde, like mindlessly rage you know they're like i'm thinking but as a group oh my god i aspire to write something that good that was so good
1: <laughs> as a group they're purposely fucking with you <laughs> like, like it's, you a group
0: think let's all fuck with this guy as yeah, let this guy 75 right person, person group,
1: group. what, what? Uh, no, uh, no it's like in unison they're like let's scare the shit out of this guy.
0: <laughs> like, I aspire to have that many close friends that we all think at the same time, let's bu- let's scare the shit out of this guy. <laughs> we just move at the same time. How would you coordinate that?
1: <laughs> With weeks and weeks of choreography. <laughs> <laughs> all right,
2: guys, and one and two and three and move in this particular way. <laughs> yes. And
1: death <guess> hands. <laughs> yell and yell and stop.
2: Um, but i think also what works so well is that like the movies even able to do that with either like these sequences where it's like wow all these people choreographed this one thing or even with stuff that's like simple that other horror movies have done like the sequence where the two sequences actually where james baggio is just in his house and he hears the empty man essentially come into his house and there's so little like actual effects work or anything that you actually see in the first one like, that's a sequence where it's been done so many times, but at the same time, the moment I was done with this movie, it's like, well, I better get some water before I go to bed. And I look down my hallway, and it's really dark. I'm just like, um, nah. I'm I'm not going to quench my thirst at all. I'm just going to go to bed completely dry-mouthed, because there's no way I'm going down that fucking hallway. Like, a movies never capture that anymore for me, especially as, like, horror fans, you can feel so jaded. But... With a movie like this, it's so, like, something that we really have to, like, get to other horror fans out there because it feels so unique and unsettling with sequences like that. Or even something as simple as, shout out to one of our favorite character actors, Steven Root, showing up as the cult leader. Yeah. And it's so tremendous. Where it's instantly just like, you've seen this guy before, it's like, oh, it's the voice of uh, that guy on King of the Hill. Or whatever, it's just like he's unassuming, but no, he is terrifying, and he's just like you can see why people would be warm to him, but at the same time, you are unsettled by particularly the whole thing where he talks about, you know, the old children's game where you repeat a thing over and over again until it loses all meaning. It could be your name, or it could be an entire abstract concept. So in a way, what means more, the abstract concept
1: or your own name? Ah! <laughs> You get why people would follow him like how i'd follow steven root the actor i'd probably get arrested but still like he's he's really fucking good and i before i saw barry i would think this is a weird role for steven root but then when you see barry and you see how sort of charming and conniving he can be and ultimately just a real piece of fucking shit like it totally makes sense like i want to see steven root do this shit way more like he's really good in this and captivating 100 percent. i'm so glad it was like not a really big star but like an identifiable face uh, they, he yeah he was perfect that's his call leader and in and, and like everybody in that fucking sort of auditorium it was terrifying to me you know that scene and also the scene where he sort of explores the compound and he comes across all of them sitting there just doing the whisper thing with their back turned to him and then he gets into the basement and ultimately what that scene actually is is like yo fucking what <laughs> like it's it's mindfuckery for sure but it's one of those if you just go with sort of the the mind of it all and for lack of a better term it it takes you to places that you don't expect to go as a viewer and it Ultimately, does answer all of the questions you have, just not necessarily in the way that you expected or wanted them to. But I think in that way, it's incredibly fulfilling as a horror film.
2: Yeah, uh, shout out to also of, of the cult people. My favorite is uh, Robert R. Mayo, um as the um, Garrett, who's also like the Neil Cassidy guy. It's just like those cats know what they're doing, man. Oh, what's the Neil Cassidy routine? Well, who's that? <laughs> i just love that too he's just like he's speaking this weird outdated thing it kind of reminded me the most of like what Kat was talking about that felt the most lynchian like that kid felt like he was in fucking twin peaks he just he grew up in twin peaks and just came to fucking- he did
0: <laughs> he came from twin peaks so he came he moved over he's like yeah man i've seen some
2: things <laughs> but especially the scene where like um the james character like kidnaps him and he just goes on about like Oh, man, everything's gonna be different. All, our entire content reality is gonna burst at the seams. And I love how, like, that sequence and several other ones earlier, the way the only way James can respond is with the, like, uh, I used to live in San Francisco. Like, that's all he has <laughs> after a certain point. Like, he's also, his reality is just completely breaking apart. He's just like, uh... I can grasp onto this one thing they put in my brain of, I used to live in San Francisco. (laughs) Just immediately, it's this thing of, like, it's funny in the moment, and the more you think back on it, it's just like, oh, his, like, circuits are frying. (laughs) Like, he has no idea how to respond to, like, his reality completely breaking apart. Like, it's just a creepy, weird movie. If you're a fan of, like,
1: jump scare horror, there is some of that in here, but I definitely think this is would fall more in like the cerebral slow burn horror type movie um so no it's not going to be for everyone it, it definitely has a certain audience for it but it's just like i said getting past the title getting past the trailer which is not very good uh but getting past those two things and kind of just giving yourself over to the empty man yeah. um i yes, think to the void <laughs> yeah yeah, dude, you can fall into that thing man uh, you know it's it's a hard one to sort of pigeonhole into a certain genre like even the occult thing yes it 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 definitely is that but it's a lot of weird other things too i just like i said at the the top of the discussion i i just it kind of makes me long for a world where this sort of got a wider release and maybe got more word of mouth because then we maybe could have gotten more mainstream horror like this that's not just remakes or based on a book by Stephen king or or by who's ever the hot horror director of the time, which I'm not sort of trying to badmouth any of those things, because I think those things are important, too. It's what keeps sort of the genre alive in the mainstream. But I sort of miss not having these little, not necessarily little, but these out of, you know, out of left field, horror-type movies come and, and gain an audience. Um, obviously, COVID had a lot to do with that, too. But, it, I mean, it's been happening before that. I mean, look at... Like Thomas alluded to earlier, the, the production of this movie—nobody knew how to market this movie or how to sell it. Which I get, but it's just—I really hope this finds a bigger audience and more people sort of champion this type of horror, and so we can get more of this.
2: Well, those sound like pretty good final thoughts, Adam. Honestly,
1: I want to add one thing to it, and then I—and then I'm good. Okay. Um, if you come across seventy motherfuckers in a field with on in a circle and there's like lightning with no thunder get the fuck out of there <laughs> it's time to go like don't stand there and investigate and try to get further just fucking take off dude. well to be fair even
2: before that is when he was in the cabin and he saw all those like videotapes and the files i just be like i'd get those files and get the fuck out of there at that point <laughs> like i just like i got the thing i'm looking for i am leaving <laughs> Yep, i'm good well this place is scary but at least it's still daylight out so monsters can't get me goodbye <laughs> like, <laughs> for sure for sure but cat uh, what about your final thoughts on the empty man?
0: I completely agree I wish more people would check it out and I hope by listening to this episode more people do especially if you've listened to this whole thing all the way through you could definitely clearly tell we all love it but get through the the quiet of the first 20 minutes because then it, it just goes off from there but yeah I hope this helps spread the word because I'm gonna keep talking up as much as I can and That's what we can do, I mean, as horror fans, is if you like it, tell a friend. I do think simultaneously that horror really helped us during the pandemic because we saw, like, everybody went to drive-ins to see The Wretched. And it helped boost, you know, sales in movies. It was really interesting to watch that people were watching more horror and that's helping. But at the same time, think like, movies like The Empty Man are really, really good that if it had had a shot and been marketed and everything... It would have been much bigger than it was, so I think the best thing we can do is just talk about it, talk it up, tell a friend.
2: Yes, bring more into the cult of the empty man.
0: Yes, we need more people for that giant herd we're going to form where we all group think.
2: <laughs> we need several people to choreograph our big seat thing outside, that's what we need, I agree. Uh but but yeah, um I, I second what everybody said here. Nothing else. This is also one of those movies where like I'm still a big physical media person. Not that I buy everything, but I still like to buy physical media, especially for like a movie like this which hasn't gotten the physical release at all, is one of those where like because of the weird thing with streaming where they could disappear off HBO Max at any point or any you know, of the few services that's on right now and fox slash disney could bury this movie instantaneously this is a movie i would most definitely own in a physical form because it's like i don't know if this is gonna be around that much it feels it's like we're talking about the this is a movie that deserves such a huge audience but the studio has even post its release just feeling like nope nobody's interested in this nobody wants to see it and this is the prime kind of movie where it's just like i i would want to bring more horror people over to it. it feels kind of like Adam mentioned the whole like oh bye bye man comparison thing this movie almost kind of works as like a weird litmus test where like if you have friends who are like into that kind of like jump scary horror you can say oh yeah this is like a weird it's kind of like spooky it kind of has like a whole urban legend thing around it cool and then you have them watching they're like that got way weirder than I anticipated and the flip side of that is you can tell somebody yeah it kind of has some of that bye bye man stupid crap at the beginning but it gets deeper and it gets great and I think that's the weird kind of interesting thing about this movie is You can sell it to people in either way, and either way, I think maybe not everyone will love it, but I think everyone will go away with like, well, that was a lot different than I anticipated in a way that was interesting, (laughs) if not something that I truly loved or expected. And I think that that might be the interesting way to kind of approach it to people, and especially hopefully it gets a wider kind of uh, cult around it, and hopefully more people are able (laughs) to be drawn to it by any different other form. Uh, with, uh, hopefully just Fox Disney put it out in more places. I put it on, like, fucking Amazon, for God's sake. No one's even able to rent it off Amazon. Come on. I swear. But, um, now, uh, before we get to our, uh, next segment, uh, here, uh, here's a message from the ESO crew that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Dr.
1: Geek here with another reminder that the ESO network is pro-science- And
2: pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero. And protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces
1: of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC
2: guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. Alright, and now it's time for um, our third big segment here, The Double Redo. Where every week Adam and I, and a guest if they feel so... Inclined, I recommend usually uh, two good and two bad movies related to uh, the topic in question for the episode. And uh, so for this, we're talking about cult horror movies, as it were. And so I have a couple recommendations here. I'll uh, be first. Um, The two good ones I wanted to bring up was, one, the 1971 film The Devils, which we kind of talked about with The Empty Man, about the weird availability of that movie. Uh, The Devils is a similar thing, even though this is a much older film. Uh, celebrating its 50th anniversary, and I was able to watch it because Shudder will occasionally have it on their streaming service for like a month and then have it disappear basically. And I was able to watch it earlier this year. And if you don't know, the story about like this priest played by Oliver Reed, and it's kind of based off a true story where he was like the lead priest in this village, it takes place like in the 17th century or so, and he becomes sort of like this cult figure in his own way where he takes the priesthood and uses it to take advantage of like everything around him. Like he's a hedonist and he's had affairs with so many women in the, uh, in the little village that he's in. And, um, as things go along, he ends up basically, uh, attracting like an occult kind of own sect of Christianity in his own right. That ends up stirring up so much controversy to the point where he is basically converted a non played by Vanessa Redgrave into like a lust filled maniac of sorts who kind of leads basically the cult of the Oliver Reed character. And it's kind of a horror movie, but it also, it's just, it's weird. It's Ken Russell who made, like, Tommy and the Who concept album adaptation so many other weird movies. I can see why it was a movie cut to ribbons several different times over. Um, Yet somehow The Nun appeared in Space Jam 2 in the background for some reason earlier this year as well. Just a weird thing that's actually true. (laughs) You can see the Vanessa Redgrave Nun character in that movie. Very odd. Um, But it's definitely, it's an interesting movie that we're going, if you can find it, to seek it out. And then my other good one is The Invitation, which is the Karen Kusama movie. She also did Jennifer's Body um, and also Destroyer uh, after this. And this is a very good movie, basically, about just a bunch of people get together for a dinner party. And uh, the main couple we're following is kind of in a bit of dire straits with each other. And as the evening goes along, it turns out that um, the people who uh, are hosting the party might be a part of a weird cult in their own right. Uh, And it unravels, despite not having, like, a lot of huge, like, horror set pieces. It's more of, like, a drama with a lot of sinister horror implications to it that I found fascinating. Like, so many great performances. And Kirin Kusama is such a good director that even though it's a drawing room, kind of, like, back and forth conversation movie, you are so visually engaged with, like, what's going on here. Particularly, I think it has one of the great all-time final shots at the end of this movie that's really stellar. Um, And then just the two bad ones I want to mention really quickly. uh, One is... One that has a lot of, like, reputation behind it. A lot of people love this movie because it's based on a Stephen King novel. And the concept's interesting. But I've always found this movie kind of overrated and dull. I have uh, the original of, since there are hundreds of these sequels that came afterward. I have the original Children of the Corn, uh, which I've never been a huge fan of. I think it's, like, a, has a really stellar start in the whole scene where, like, the kids actually start taking their vengeance. That's pretty stellar. And then after that point, a lot of Linda Hamilton and her husband just like going around walking endlessly occasionally come across a creepy kid and it's just like it's such a slog i never really got the love for it i i think it's one of the lesser uh stephen king adaptations especially in the 80s where it was such a huge thing it's one of my lesser favorite ones for sure and then the other one i have is the sacrament from ty west which is a movie i'm not really a huge fan either of it's basically like a a Vice documentary crew follows um, this cult that's led by a uh, sort of Gene Jones-style um, cult leader. And that main actor, who I believe is actually named um, Richard Jones or Gene Jones, I'll, I'll look it up here in a second. I think he has a stellar performance, but it's a lot of, like, twiddling our thumbs until you basically get to what we've all known. Like, it's so close to, like, the Jonestown story that's like, you find out by the end, just like, oh, it is Jonestown. And there's not much to it. Maybe if you aren't aware of that story, you might find that interesting. But if you know any of that stuff, it is like beat for beat without being called like directly a Jonestown adaptation. And even then, it's not a very compelling one by any stretch. But uh, those are my choices.
1: I can't agree enough with The Devils. That is a fucking movie. And I do get the controversy behind it. But it is definitely one of those, if you have the means. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. it it's it's just oof, you feel so you, you feel away after watching that movie. That, that's for sure. Uh, it, it's one that doesn't leave you either. It, it is quite fantastic. Um, I actually haven't seen the invitation. Um, it has been on my watch list for oh since it came out, but for some reason I've never gotten around to it and you know, it is October, and I'm trying to watch a, a new sort of horror movie every night that I haven't seen, so that just shot up to the top of the list. Um, so I will definitely be checking that out. Children of the Corn, I completely agree. Great concept, great opening bit. A uh, couple pretty decent performances by some of the kids, uh, but it's just dumb. And the sort of final creature bullshit is just so laughably dumb looking and stupid uh it's just it loses all steam that it might have had building up for it Uh, it's just ridiculous um and as far as the sacrament goes i've actually seen that a couple times because i was doing like um i don't like a big podcast binge and they were talking about the jonestown uh sort of Called massacre and so i i watched it through that if you look at it like it is a vice documentary about jonestown i actually kind of liked it um i thought the lead performance was incredible um he's not exactly jim jones but he's really close and i i think aj bowen's pretty uh a standout in most things he's in uh he's one of my favorite sort of cultish again to use that word but horror actors um i really do enjoy his work
0: well i actually haven't seen those and i i love children of the corn actually (laughs) like i really like that one um but i also think it's kind of silly yeah but i haven't seen the invitation i'm gonna have to check it out that sounded really good
1: all right for mine for my good um i have uh, you know crazy enough a ty west film i have the house of the devil which I, I, th- I believe it takes place in the early 80s, late 70s. It's a very slow burn movie, you know, about a babysitter who takes his job at this weird house and, you know, the family's gone and blah, blah, blah. And I, I, what it's, you know, ultimately turns out to be, it's a satanic cult and, and things like that without giving way too much away. Very slow burn, great score, really well shot. Tom Noonan, dude, he's so scary. And again, AJ Bowen's really good in it. Um, it's just, it's a really solid, solid sort of buildup of a movie. And, you know, like, even Greta Gerwig's in it, <laughs> which is crazy to me. I, I really, really like House of the Devil. It's probably my favorite Ty West movie. It's one that I definitely recommend. And for my other one, I, real quick, I had one that I hadn't heard about. Uh, it was recommended to me by my brother. I, I'm i not sure if it's a Netflix movie. I, I know it's on Netflix, but it's uh The Endless. It's another cult movie deals with maybe some Lovecraftian stuff, some time loop stuff. Um, it's it's really sort of, again, kind of a slow burn that builds up and there's a lot of like what the fuck is going on during the entire movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Not great performances from our leads, but pretty solid. Um, enough to I was able to follow them. But there's a lot of just creepy imagery and and just unnerving, bizarre behavior and things like that. in it. it's one that I definitely, again, if, if you haven't seen or even heard of it, I, I would recommend checking it out. Uh, and then for my bad, I have the aforementioned Wicker Man remake. Um, because what the fuck is this movie? Like, I, Yes, it's funny. I can firmly say I am 100% convinced that they were not trying to make a comedy. Uh, it is out of control crazy. Uh, You know, why is it burned? Why is it burned? Like, what the fuck, dude? Take it down a notch. He karate kicks people in a bear suit. Like, what the fuck is happening? It's just, it's so ridiculous and over the top. Uh, Ellen Bernstein actually is quite good in it. And I'd say that's about all it's got going for it. As far as a serious horror film, if you want to watch it because you've heard it so stupid that it's funny, then you might enjoy it. Um, But... Talk about a remake that is just pales in comparison to the original. That's that's probably one of the most prime examples out there. And then for my other one, I have a movie that it came out, and I know it has fans. I remember seeing it at the theater, and I instantly hated it. And I rewatched it uh, probably about, I don't know, a couple months ago, uh, just to see if I maybe would feel different about it. And I don't. It's the skeleton key, without getting into it again, because I don't want, it's a very sort of twist ending, and I don't really want to spoil that for anybody if they haven't seen it. Uh, but it lands so flat for me and the performances are so bad and it's just kind of a stupid plot not carried off well at all i mean the makings of something sort of creepy and sinister could be there it feels like nobody gives a shit who was in it or who made it i felt dumb after watching it and i still feel dumb for a lot of reasons but that's one of them it's just it's a boring bland sort of movie that came out like when the reaping was out and all those where it's like new horror and it's crap it's garbage uh i i definitely would not recommend
2: that one yeah um i've seen two of the ones that you mentioned the wicker man remake which we've talked about briefly here um is fascinating for the at least unintentional uh funny moments i I agree particularly my favorite that feels underrated amongst like the how to get burned and the bees ah like that those are the more well-known ones my favorite bit is there's a bit where Nicolas cage like has a horrible like nightmare sequence happen and then he wakes up like oh 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 everything's great and then he's like he looks out, he's holding the dead girl and he's like oh, and then he wakes up again like it's american werewolf in london <laughs> <It's> horrible, <laughs> ridiculous things i've seen um and i've seen house of the devil which i agree is one of my the better Thai west movies i prefer the innkeeper slightly more but those are the two definitely have his to watch i think so yeah and i agree the greta gerwig thing is so weird it's like oh future academy award nominated director writer <laughs> greta gerwig is in this movie it's fascinating um and i've wanted to see the endless for a while because that's um it's aaron moorhead and justin benson are the directors who also did a movie called spring which i've recommended on the show previously and have done like some interesting little low-key horror movies um but I, I, that's the most recent, most recent one i haven't seen that of theirs. So I if they want to check that out And the Skeleton Key I have not seen, though I am aware of the twist. I won't reveal it as well. And I thought, like, wow, that sounds kind of dumb. I'm not going to bother with that.
0: Like I mentioned before at the beginning of the show, I love The Wicker Man because I view it as a comedy. I haven't seen The House of the Devil, but I've been wanting to for a while. Um, and The Endless is so good. Oh, man. Love that movie. I need to rewatch it again because it's been on my mind lately. I really like the way it handled time. That's all I'll say to be vague. The Skeleton Key, I did actually like that one um, when I first saw it, but I remember it was around the time where... Those types of movies were high. It could have been a lot better.
2: Kat, I do know you have a couple of ones that you would want to um, recommend yourself. You had a couple of titles you wanted to shout out for yourself here for the redo.
0: Yes. So one I wanted to recommend is one, I'm not sure how many people have even seen this movie, but I'm a really big fan of Grady Hendrix. So I went and like really wanted to see the movie he put out on Shudder called Satanic Panic. Oh my gosh, that was a gory romp, and I loved it. I've watched it twice. It's oh, it's so fun. It's it's exactly what you think it is. The pizza girl ends up being a part of a satanic cult ritual, and it's just full of you know rich people who have stayed rich because they worship Satan, and they're all hail Satan. But it's got that Grady Hendrix comedy to all the blood and guts and mayhem. It's extremely sacrilegious, so like even more so than Lords of Salem in some parts, bear that in mind. Um, But I loved it. I thought it was a riot. Um, The other one that I really love that I wish more people liked, that I know a lot of people who love the original movie don't like the remake, but I love the remake. is Suspiria. I really liked that movie a lot for it being what it is, and I liked that it wasn't, a direct recycling of what we've seen before, and it was something different. I was a dancer for a really long time, probably as long as I've been an artist. I was a dancer, and so I know what it's like to be in a company and like all of that. So I tend to love anything that's ballet horror. So I really, really love that. And then it had a wonderful bloody ending that, in some ways, made no sense, and in other ways, made lots of sense. And it was so funny, and I loved it. It was just, it was great. The ones that I don't like were The Lodge, which came out last year. I really didn't like that movie, um, mostly because of the the way it was trying to talk about mental illness in a bad way. Like, it was just not a great message. The things that these kids did to torture the, the woman who had come from a cult and tried to trigger that back in her make her relive it was just really messed up. And then the ending was just even worse. And the other one that I'm like, oh, that movie is so bad is Darkness, the 2002 film with Anna Paquin, where there are like six kids that were going to be sacrificed and one of them doesn't get sacrificed. So he starts reliving it and it's her dad, you know, that whole thing. And it just gets ridiculous at some point. So you're like, oh, my God, how is this a film? Um, So, yeah, those are my four
2: yeah, the Suspiria remake has come up a couple times on the redo, uh, because especially, like, last time, it was the Tilda Swinton episode. We uh, briefly talked about it here, um, and I agree. I think it has such an interesting, different version of a great horror movie. I think it does a stellar job of kind of reinventing that movie. I haven't seen Satanic Panic or The Darkness, and I get people's issues with The Lodge. I have, like, kind of mixed feelings on it, but I would say the thing that makes me at least slightly respecting or liking it to some degree is is uh, Riley Keogh, I think, is phenomenal in that movie. And I'll at least say that I think the movie is far more on her side than it ever is those kids, which I think is the good thing, because fuck those kids. I agree, those kids are <laughs> terrible, awful characters. Uh, but oh, they're I think, awful. They're yeah. awful. But at the same time, I think Riley Keogh delivers such a solid performance that I would say it's worth... Uh, if nothing else, that movie has, has such a divisive perception that I 100% get. That was one of those love in or hate movies from last year, and I I totally get it. But at the same time, I think it's at least worth watching for Keogh, who I think is one of our greater underrated actresses coming up right now.
1: Um, I haven't seen Satanic Panic either. Uh, It's definitely one I've been kind of wanting to see, Uh, but just other things come up. So, hey, just shout-up to the top of the list for this month, too. Why the hell not? I'm down for something fun and bloody and crazy. Um, Suspiria remake, yeah, like, like Thomas said, we brought it up a couple times. We've even talked about it elsewhere. It's it's a great, great, solid movie that stands completely on its own. Um, to the point to where if you've never seen the original, it's not going to detract away from your enjoyment if you watch this one. Um, but also, if you haven't seen the original, like, what are you doing? Go watch the original, too. Um, I haven't seen The Lodge. I've heard exactly those mixed things about it. That's why I've kind of stayed away from it. I, it's not that I'll never watch it, but it's not one that I'm not necessarily going to seek out now here's the thing about darkness i know i've seen it i used to own it <laughs> i can't tell you a single fucking thing about it like even you describing it to me i'm like that's what that movie was oh like i know I, I want the little girl from the piano yeah 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 yeah. that's about all i know about it like i don't remember shit about it so clearly it didn't leave an impression
2: well uh before we get out of here let's uh repeat our titles really quickly here we'll go in the the order originally started in here. I'll just repeat. uh, My good picks were uh, The Devils and The Invitation. And uh, my two bad ones were The Original Children of the Corn from 84 and The Sacrament. And my two good were The Endless and The House of the
1: Devil. And my bad were The Wicker Man Remake and The Skeleton Key.
0: And my good picks were Suspiria, The Remake, and Satanic Panic. And my bad ones were The Lodge and Darkness, the 2002 film.
2: But before we uh, get out of here and do our picking for next week, which will be uh, very exciting for next week's episode, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, We just wanted to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro used for our show. Uh, Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor-Lally for the artwork for our show. Follow him at Night of Water. That's night with a K underscore of underscore water for all of his great artwork on Twitter. And he has a link tree there where you can uh, peruse his various uh, offerings. And uh, we also want to thank our Patreon supporters, patreon.com GEDBpod, where for just a dollar a month, you all get to uh, vote in polls for movies that we do and get bonus podcasts we record every month. And uh, right now, this particular week at least, uh, it'll be the day after this releases on the Wednesday, you'll be able to vote in a poll for a bad pick for an upcoming episode. Where in November, we're going to be doing one about reboots of franchises. And uh, Adam's two bad picks are up for people to vote on. Adam, what are those two choices people have to choose between? Our edgelord patrons, as we call them.
1: I have uh, Jurassic World, which uh, is um, uh, dog shit. And then I have the fucking... Like, I think it's the 13th Transformers movie, uh, whichever one fucking Marky Mark came on board as. Look, without getting into it, the case gets picked. He plays an inventor.
2: From Texas. <laughs> the most Texas <laughs> <possible>. From
1: Texas. <laughs> that's, that's enough. Which, that's enough. By, oh, by oh, the man. way, the, the
2: film is Transformers For Age of Extinction. That's the specific one. <laughs> this whole
1: time i thought it was revenge of the fallen so there you go
2: (laughs) i believe that's the second one but we've never covered one of those movies on the show somehow we've never covered one of those movies so that'll be fascinating if that one gets picked or jurassic world that one has a lot of fans so it will be curious to see uh which one of those gets picked and we get to talk about on that reboots episode but uh we have one more person to thank and that is the lovely cat cat thank you for coming on please plug yourself a bit uh tell people uh what you're doing out there and where they can find you on the internet
0: Sure, absolutely. So, if you want to check out my work, um, the first place to start would be to buy Jennifer Strange. Basically, you can order it online anywhere, um, but it's an indie book, so you're probably not going to wander into Barnes and Noble and find it. So, the best place would be to either order from Copper Dog Books, which is my local bookstore, and you can put a note um, if you would like me to personalize it, and I will go and sign it for you, or make it out to whoever you'd like. The other thing I'm working on right now is The Mayor of Halloween is Missing. That's going to be out around mid-October. It's perfect to read with your kids for the spooky season. Um, and if you would like to read my adult horror, I'm going to have uh, a white water rafting trip gone wrong with vampires in, in Unholy Thirst, which will be out at the end of the month. So that's where you can find my writing work. But if you want to check out my illustrations, you can find them on katherinescully.com. And I would definitely encourage everybody to check out the video game I'm working on. That's my day job. I work with uh, some of the team that made Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. Uh, and now they have a studio called The Deep End Games. And we are making a very loving parody, kind of a Castlevania, uh, which is Dracula on a dating show where he dates other monsters. And it's a platformer. So you're also fighting the whole time, and you're dating monsters. It's the best. I love working on this game, so I really hope everybody checks it out um, when it releases next year.
2: That is such a stellar concept for a video game. I had no idea you were doing that. I immediately <laughs> need to play this. That sounds so stellar. But yeah, you're a you're a busy bee, and uh, yeah, I definitely um, I'm, I'm very excited about particularly like the, the picture book and Jennifer Strange. Um, I'm I'm very happy to see you, uh, you know, doing all these great projects. You're such a busy bee.
0: Yes, I am a busy bee. It's so funny, like, a lot of people are like, how do you get all this done? And I'm like, I don't know. I I just, I like to do things, and I sort of regiment my time in doing them. You know, like, I write in the morning, and then I go to work, and then I write at night, like most other people do.
2: Yes, and uh, for more of our own antics, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, or you can um, submit Feedback to us, double bill at gmail.com, all spelled out. Um, we would recommend, if you can't support us on the Patreon, to help us out by buying some merchandise at the ESOT Public Store. Uh, there'll be a link in the description for that, where uh, you can buy a t-shirt or a mug or a tote bag, all sorts of things with our lovely logo on it. Um, that helps us out because we get a bit of a kickback from it. So help them out if they did what, Adam? <clears throat>
1: buy our merch! Buy our merch!
2: Yes, my Tulpa. Yes. You just sit. do exactly <laughs> as I tell you to do. That's the secret. I've only been around since the start of this show. <laughs> and I've made you do this. That's the big twist of this episode. <laughs> it actually makes a lot of sense if you know. <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, for more of my Own Antics, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox as at not, who's Tommy where I write uh, various uh, musings and such, and I also do uh, more full-length writing at both marianitomas.wordpress.com, which is my personal blog, and film-cred.com for more elaborate essays, which there might be one horror-themed in the near future over there for me. Wink!
1: Oh, spooky. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Adam or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. And you can also find me on the letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And I,
2: again, will not explain what that means. Yes. And uh, for more of our audio antics, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not dig into all the other great shows over there? Or also, you can find our archives on our main Podbean feed for a bunch of episodes, including way before we joined ESO. If nothing else, if you can't support us by buying that merchandise or uh, supporting the Patreon, the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or share the show around that gives us more visibility.
1: Look, man, we've been doing a lot of long episodes lately about some really cool topics. And there are some people out there championing it, sharing it, but the rest of you fuckers, like, look, just get it out there. Push a button. It's not fucking hard. Like seriously, you, you push the button on the microwave for your popcorn or your your hot pockets or whatever you kids eat. Just fucking hit the share button. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know.
2: Add more to the cult of double H double bill. We need more of that. Goddamn to Stay off my lawn. <laughs> 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 well, well, now, Adam, it's time we finally did our picking for next week's episode, uh, which we're keeping with the horror track of things. Uh, basically, if you don't know, every week Adam and I uh, cover two uh, movies, so we end up having each of us two good or two bad picks. We switch on the quality for that, and uh, we assign numbers between 1 and 10 for those, usually, and that ends up getting us uh, our good and bad feature when we the other person picks number between 1 and 10 um, so it'll be interesting, especially because, uh, we also have the godfather rule where every time we do this, where we pick an up between one and 10 and pick somebody's choices, uh, there's the potential. Each of us has a single veto in our back pocket. So, uh, basically if we hear a choice and we say, oh, we don't want to really cover that good or bad pick, we can say, uh, actually I'll take the cannoli and thus we end up having to get whatever other choice is there. So for example, Adam has a couple bad picks. I pick number two, one and 10. It gets one particular choice. He'll ask, "Hey, do you want to take the cannoli on that? And I'll potentially say, um, actually I will take the cannoli or no, I don't want to for the particular choice next week. Though the only thing that's uh, vetoed from that is any Patreon pick choices, which is the case for our next episode. Our next episode will be, uh, the big franchise we're doing for October in honor of, uh, Mr. Charles Lee Ray, AKA Chucky is coming back in the form of a sci-fi channel TV show which I'm very curious about. Um, so we're going to finally dig into the Child's Play franchise, which I would argue often gets dismissed amongst the big franchises, but is one of the more interesting, weird, and experimental ones, especially like that 80s era. It, uh, it got weird in a good way as things went along. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we'll have the, we'll the back-and-forth discourse about that for sure. But um, you all, uh, patrons, Edgeord patrons for the $1, ended up picking our good choice, which ended up being Curse of Chucky, uh, which was one of my two good choices. So that one is staying. Adam cannot veto that. Um, but Adam has his two bad choices. And uh, when we have a guest on, we like to have them pick a number between 1 and 10, and we see whatever that gets closest to between the person's two picks. So uh, please, cat, for Adam's two bad choices, pick a number between 1 and 10.
1: 9. Alrighty, at number 8... I have what I think is probably the worst of the franchise. I know some people might think it's my other option, but I have uh Child's Play 3.
2: Mm. Yeah. Um that that is one of the worser ones. Um you know, it's not one that gets discussed that often, I think even compared to your other pick. So, I think I'm probably going to go ahead and stick with Child's Play 3. I won't be taking the canoling on this one cuz uh, I I think it's an interesting one where you kind of see the traditional kind of played out version of Chucky that got reinvented. It makes you appreciate some of the reinventions. But Adam, I want to take a wild stab here. I'm going to say yeah. you have something at a specific point, uh, whatever number that is. But I'm guessing, is it Seat of Chucky?
1: Yeah, 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 that would be number five.
2: A movie I'm very curious to revisit in general, because I'm probably going to rewatch these movies anyway before we do the episode. Because of some of the interesting things, particularly the... Uh, uh the or glenda character you're a glutton for fucking
1: punishment that's why you're gonna go and rewatch all this garbage (laughs) like it's just you fucking sadist
2: it's a very interesting great franchise and i'm very curious to talk about all that next time but until then everybody uh that is the end of our episode and we uh just want to encourage you all to join the cult of the empty man Uh, to to impersonate thomas to impersonate the movie a piece, 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 piece. of carrots, piece of carrots, piece of carrots, piece of carrots.